Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. If you uh, have been paying attention at all to world news, you know there's a whole lot going on in culture. And we want to be really careful here that when we gather, we gather for the word of God, encouraging one another. And we can't escape the world we're in, but we don't want to preach or always just pay attention to the headlines of the newspaper. But some things have been happening in our world that we wanted to spend a few moments in prayer over. From the beginning of January of this year, we have focused intentionally on what we've been preaching and walking through. How does God deal with, forgive us of, and call us forward out of self-righteousness, only being concerned about our own causes? We started with the book of Jonah. We've discovered uh, several things through this journey. The book of Revelation did a series on prayer, talking about drawing close to God. And if you've been paying attention, what's going on in Afghanistan with our withdrawal, the politics put aside... The church is being persecuted right now in Afghanistan overtly. If you paid attention at all to the details, if half of them are true, it's horrific what's taking place with Christians individually and with the church in that, uh, in that country, in, that, in those nations. And we can't leave our brothers and sisters out. When we gather in safety each and every week and we can worship freely and express ourselves to God and not be worried about being stopped out of our parking lot or when we go home, imagine what it would be like to have to face what they're facing right now. So we want to spend some time not only praying for the churches and the influence of God in Afghanistan, but we also want to pray for those that are suffering in Haiti without a centralized government and, to be honest, a corrupt government. It's pretty impossible for supplies and resources to get where they need to go in the immediacy earthquake took place several days ago and there have been people suffering and starving without medical care or doctors and the church in Haiti is the answer and so we're working with some connections we have in Haiti trying to be able to get supplies and information as well as uh, money to be able to help those and use the church to do so so what we'd like to do as a congregation this morning is just spend a few moments asking God to do his work we don't give God information we give him our trust So let's pray for what's taking place in Afghanistan and what's taking place in Haiti and anywhere else that comes to mind where there's injustice and there's persecution and there's difficulties. Would you join me? I'm going to give you just a few moments of prayer yourself and then I'll speak a prayer for all of us this morning. Father, you hear our words of trust. You hear our words of hope. You hear our pleading. God, we're not trying to convince you to be good, to be kind, or to be present. You're all of those things because of who you are. What we're asking is for you to show us how we can help. Our prayers go up because we believe that your church is the hope in Afghanistan and the hope in Haiti. We believe that the message that we will hear today and the hope that we give our lives to is redeeming and satisfying. But in the midst of persecution, people who today will meet you face to face because of their faith in you. Father, our hearts hurt for the family, for the churches, for the pastors, for those serving in that region. We pray that because we know your church grows in persecution, even though we don't love that opportunity all the time. We pray for the churches in Haiti as they minister and care for people who are lost their homes, lost everything. 
and all that's taking place in the government and so forth, Father, we cry out to you because we can't fix it with pure donations. It has to be something bigger and more powerful, and that's you. So we're trusting you. We're we're calling out to you on behalf of your church and your people. God, may your will be done. May people know it was you. And may your church expand its ministry in the way you call us to expand. And we come before you this morning knowing you're our hope. So you're their hope too. And we pray this by the power of Jesus' name through your Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's listen this morning to some passages that will be used in our message. Mark 12, 28 through 30. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. John 8, 31 and 32. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what is God's will, the good, pleasing, and perfect will. Acts 2, 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome again to Christ Church. Uh, My name is Michael, and I am one of the elders here, and I will have the privilege of talking to you guys for a little while this morning and trying to maintain my balance as I do so. Uh, We're in a series called Pathways. If you're here last week, we got it started, and Mark was talking about worship. And the idea of this series is really pretty simple. We're talking about like the core staple elements or pillars of what it looks like to follow Jesus together. And so today we're talking about teaching. So you're about to get yourselves a teaching on teaching. Uh, So when it comes to things like teaching and study and doctrine and theology, I'm quite conscious of the fact that I just split the room. You know what I'm saying? And probably not in half. Like some of us lean in in these moments because we find these things exciting. Others, not so much. I'm curious. No judgment from me, I promise. But I just want to do a little show of hands vote. Like how many of you, when you hear, we're talking about teaching or theology or doctrine or study, how many of you lean in? Like there's just a part of you that finds this part super interesting. Cool, a lot of hands. Okay, good. How many of you lean out? (laughs) You know, it's like I need some coffee and I need to go to the bathroom and I might be gone for a while. You know what I'm saying? Like I get it. It's it's really, it's it's pretty natural. And in some sense, I mean, you can see this balance beam. Uh, We thought about doing a four foot balance beam, but when it realized that like, jumping off and randomly blowing out my knee wasn't the worst thing that could happen, we decided to put it on the ground. So um, it's harder than it looks to stay balanced on this thing. When it comes to matters of God and knowledge, teaching, study, it really is kind of a classic case of trying to walk a balance beam because you could fall off on either side of this thing. There's two different errors you could make when it comes to God and knowledge. You could fall off on the side that says knowledge is everything, like knowledge matters most, you know, like we just need to continue. That's what the church needs is to know doctrine, is to study truth. And, and you know, some, some of you are wired like this, like some of us get this just almost by temperament or personality or whatever, and you're kind of an intellectual person, you know, and you might fit into this category if you think racing calculators is fun <laughs> or if, <laughs> if, you, uh, if you like, it's like date night suggestion time. And your wife or your husband knows you're going to say, let's go to the library. 
It's just, you might be this person. Or if you like go to the bathroom and you take something with you to read and you read, but you forget to go to the bathroom, <laughs> like you fit in this camp. And it's not necessarily just the people who are wired to like study. Some of you aren't like super studiers, readers, learners in all of life. But man, when it comes to the Bible and God, like you really love it. You enjoy it. You have maybe had an experience in your life where you learned something and it really helped you grow and you were excited about your faith and it, and it took you to new places. And so for various reasons, it's, it's really easy to think like, man, doctrine is everything. And we have to remember when we find ourselves on this side of the balance beam. We have to remember 1 Corinthians 8.1, where Paul says, hey, y'all don't forget, like, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. We have to remember that uh, Satan is a pretty decent theologian. And I know that's kind of like a melodramatic statement, but he has a lot of accurate information on the subject, you know? We have to remember that the early Christians, like, changed the world. And it wasn't because they were geniuses. It was because there was a power in them that demanded an explanation, so we have to remember not to fall on this side of the balance beam. You've got to walk this thing. But as soon as you remember that, of course, you're conscious of the fact that there's another side. And the other side of the balance beam is knowledge really just doesn't matter very much. It's just, I mean, it's kind of important, I guess, theoretically, sure, whatever, but it's just not that big of a deal. And, and it's like, we're, you know, we're, we're doers. We're people of action. We want to get things done. And, and maybe this is how you feel when you hear doctrine, it just feels stuffy. Or when you hear theology, it just sounds like a bunch of people sitting in a room talking about ideas that are disconnected from reality, you know, <clears throat> disconnected from taxes and diapers and to-do lists and whatever else you got going on. We're doers. We like action. I remember some years ago, I was actually in college and I was prepping for ministry and I was at a week, uh, this kind of camp thing and we were helping things that week and I was meeting different people from different places and at the end of the week, I was at a, at a lunch with some of the other guys I'd been working with and we were all training for ministry and so we're talking about different ideas and there was this one kid who was pretty quiet and somebody asked him, well, what do you think about this? And his response was, I don't think, I just do. <laughs> and I remember thinking, yeah, we can kind of tell. <laughs> but... But you know what I'm saying? Like, there's this sense in which I get that, though. Like, at some level, what's the point of just sitting around talking about it forever? Let's get out there and go. And some others are over here, not just because it's, like, about action, but because it's about people. It's about relationships. It's about love. It's about empathy. And those things are true. Like, again, the early Christians, it wasn't look at how they think. It was look at how they love. And we know this, but sometimes we can use this and play it off against teaching. Play it off against doctrine. You know, like, why do you care so much about doctrine? Like, why is it so important that we agree? Come on. Like, can't we just care for people? Like, I don't know what to think about the Trinity or the Holy Spirit or divorce or gender or sexuality. And I don't really care about, like, the answers to the questions because it's not about answers. It's about people, you know? We want to we love. Ideas are for academics. Christians are people of active love. And it's true. People are Christians of active love. But that takes us back to the balance beam. Because the reality is the scriptures don't let us get away with this idea that doctrine doesn't matter. They really don't. Y'all heard these passages read earlier, and I want to talk through some of them and a couple more. And I'm conscious of, of a couple of things with this message. One is, it's just, I mean, it's the teaching on teaching, so it's a lot of content, you know. Also, you know, it's, it's a lot of times we'll have one particular passage that we're looking at closely, and we can kind of turn it over in our minds together and, and take time with it. This is one of those messages where there's not one passage I want to look at a lot of different texts and kind of trace this theme. But when we do that, it can feel like we're just throwing a bunch of Bible at you and you're just supposed to kind of take it all and get hit with a few of them. And I encourage you not to approach it like that. And I'll try not to do that. I want to reflect together. 
on some of these verses that you heard read and a few others and see if we can't trace in these something that God is saying to us today. So I want to start with the one in Mark chapter 12, uh, and it is a time when Jesus is talking to a number of different um, of his own country people, countrymen as teachers and leaders in the Jewish community, and, and somebody comes up to him and asks him this question, like, what's the most important commandment? It's a really big question, and you heard how he answers. The most important one is this, hear, O Israel, uh, the Lord is your God, the Lord alone. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. Now, maybe you know Jesus didn't make this answer up. He's actually quoting from the Old Testament. There was this prayer, this ancient Jewish prayer that's still prayed by many Jews today, the Shema. You may have heard of it. And it's this prayer that they would pray multiple times a day. It's from the word hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is your God, the Lord alone. And then they would say, love the Lord your God. And in Deuteronomy, where it's found originally, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And Jesus adds the word mind. Now, it's not because they didn't care about the mind in the Old Testament, but he does. It's that in their language of Hebrew, there actually wasn't a separate word for mind. They used the same word for mind and heart. It just depended on the context. And Jesus wants to bring that out super clearly and make sure you know, like part of this is loving God with your mind. Loving God with your mind matters. We looked at another, we looked at another statement uh, from Jesus in John chapter 8. It's a fairly well-known statement, often out of context, and it's a statement that Jesus makes in a similar situation. You have some people there who are his followers and some others who are thinking about it and still others who are hostile to it. And he says to them that uh, if you hold to my teaching, then you will be my disciples, my followers, my students, and you will know the truth. Can y'all finish this statement? And the truth will set you free. The truth matters. It's not just statements Jesus makes. We looked at one from the Apostle Paul, and we could have grabbed so many, but we looked at Romans chapter 12, verse 2, which comes chapter 12 at the very end of a letter where he spends a lot of time laying out the gospel of how God saves us by grace through faith. God showed his love for us in Jesus, and it's not about us living up to some standard, but it's about receiving the gift that God has given. He's laid that out in great detail in this letter, and then he gets to chapter 12, and it's time to get practical, and he says, hey, don't be conformed to the pattern of this age. Don't let yourself be squeezed into a cookie-cutter mold so that you think like everybody else around you but instead be transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind, so that you may be able to discern, to test and approve what is God's will, the good, the pleasing, the perfect. What you do with your mind matters. It's certainly not just a New Testament thing either. Again, many places in the Old Testament we could go. I wanna go to Jeremiah, my favorite prophet, who was trying to talk to the people of Israel about what matters a lot and like the scale of values. And he said in in Jeremiah, what would become Jeremiah chapter nine, he said, let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, nor the strong man boast of his strength, nor the rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts, boasts about this. Look at it, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord. Now, a lot of these passages are fairly well-known. I think it might be kind of fun to read a couple that aren't super well-known. I don't know how often you read the book of Jude, but for me, it's like not super frequent. If you have your Bibles, feel free to turn there. It's the second to last book in the Bible. It's a really short letter. You probably turn right past it most of the time because you're like looking for Revelation and Revelation's weird and interesting. Well, Jude is weird and interesting too, so it has that going for it. And Jude is, is uh, actually one of Jesus' blood brothers and a leader in the church, and he's dealing with a situation where you got some teachers who are coming in and, and trying to teach untrue ideas to the people he cares about, and he has some really harsh words for them. 
I'm not going to read all of the really harsh words, but I want to read a few. It's verses 12 and 13. There's no chapters in Jude, just one chapter. Jude chapter, well, not chapter. Jude verse 12 and 13. Here's what he says. These people, talking about these teachers, are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. I mean, dang, like that's, if I got up here and started talking about people like that, some of y'all would find me in the lobby and you would, you would admonish me, you would rebuke me, you would say, you're not supposed to talk about people like that. Because usually you're not supposed to talk about people like that. But apparently sometimes it's okay. And apparently it was okay in this situation. Now, why did you use such weird images and harsh, mean language about these people, these people for whom blackest darkness is reserved forever? It was because these folks were teaching untrue ideas, bad ideas, false teachings, non-gospel thoughts to the people of God. And this is serious business. That is why we do what we do. Another passage that uh, makes me think of these things is, is from the pen of Paul. It's in the very last letter he ever wrote, and he's writing it to Timothy, somebody who led a number of churches in a, in a cultural situation kind of similar to ours. And at the end of this letter where Paul knows he's about to die, he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. That's intense. That's why we do what we do. I think preaching is weird. Like if I wasn't a believer, if I wasn't a Christian and you invited me to church, I think a lot of it was weird to be honest with you, all you people standing up and singing together. But the weirdest part for me would be this. Like that part where everybody just sits and looks forward while one person stands up and talks. What the heck is this, you know? It's odd. But it's always been how the church does things in some form or fashion. Cultures change, but this stays the same. We preach the word because of the importance of sound doctrine. Did you see that phrase? It's a phrase that Paul uses a lot in the later years of his life, sound doctrine. And it's actually a little bit more there than we might tend to think because the word sound literally is the word healthy. It refers to a person who's in good health because they're eating and drinking the right things and exercising. It refers to a system that's in good health, working properly because it's taking in the proper inputs. And the idea here is that we can't be a healthy church and you can't be a healthy person without healthy doctrine, which is why we want to be the kind of church that does teaching well. We want to be an Acts 2 kind of church. Last passage, Acts 2, 42, a description of the life of the very first church. Like just before this, the very first Christian sermon was preached by Peter. A bunch of people gave their lives to Jesus. And then we have a description of their life together. And here's how it goes. Acts 2, 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. Teaching. Both the content of what the apostles laid down and the communication of that content. That's the kind of church we want to be. That's how we're using the word teaching. Same way as Acts 2. Both the practice of teaching and the content of teaching, the scriptures, the gospel, what the apostles laid down for us so that we might know Jesus. We want to be a church that avoids both sides of the beam, a church that is active in love and known in the community for taking care of people in need and for loving one another well, and a church that is driven by the truth. Teaching matters because ideas drive everything. That's what I want to say. That's really, that, that, that pulls it all together. 
Teaching matters because ideas drive everything. It's not a matter of choosing between like doctrine and people. It's not a matter of choosing between love and truth or ideas and action. Those are false separations. And that fake line that we construct between them is a deceit that rots disciples of Jesus and rots churches. And we're just going to say no to it. We're not going to say teaching and doctrine matter most. No, but the point is that teaching, what we think, what we believe, what we know, matters enough that each of us should think deeply and care about how we respond faithfully to what we just saw in those scriptures. So one point this morning, teaching matters because ideas drive everything. We're going to kind of turn this over together in a couple of different ways, look at it from a few different angles, make sure that we're on the same page with it, and then I'll give you a couple of really practical things and we'll be done. Let's, uh, let's start with the general observation that I really don't think is going to be that hard to defend. Ideas have consequences. If you agree, say, uh-huh. Guys, I didn't make up that phrase. I didn't make up this idea. It's, it's like fairly obvious. And if you don't believe this or if you're struggling to believe that ideas have consequences, I have an assignment for you. The next time you like buy a car or bake cookies, I want you to find a four-year-old, doesn't matter which one. I want you to take them with you. And at every point, I want you to say, well, what do you think I should do? <laughs> what do you think I should do? And then tell me how it went. You know what I'm saying? Like, what kind of car did you end up with? And what kind of lease did you get? And what came out of the oven when you were done with this process, you know? Speaking of kids, oh man, so I, I, have, a, I have a son who's going to the third grade. And this summer, I got to go and uh, help lead the third grade boys at summer camp. And it was hilarious and fun and ridiculous. And I remember the first meal, we sat down and we like spilled all of the water jugs every time. And uh, when they first sat down, they started bragging about all the things they know. You know, it was like, did you know? Did you know? Did you know? Did you know the Chicago Cubs aren't very good? Did you know? All this kind of stuff. And, uh, and then one of them was like, did you? I knew this was coming. Did you know that a tomato is a fruit? And uh, this other kid was like, no, it's not. It's a vegetable. First kid's like, no, 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 it's a fruit. Second kid, no, 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 it's a vegetable. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to weigh in. I said, actually, buddy, a, a tomato really is a fruit. And this kid just looks at me. And you know what he said? I'll never forget what he said. He said to me, I'm not sure when things changed, but I know that a tomato used to be a vegetable. <laughs> All right, man, I'm done, you know. <laughs> what I like about kids is that we see ourselves in them, like we do this. We get an idea locked in our minds, and there's no way anybody is changing it. Oh, man. Another thing I love about kids is hiccups. Not like when they get them, although that's hilarious too, but, um, but how they try to get rid of them. Like I've never met a child that doesn't have an opinion about how to get rid of hiccups. You know what I'm saying? And I, I, I sometimes want to make like a master list of all the theories. And I've, so far I've heard four from different kids I've asked. Some kids will tell you that the best way to get rid of hiccups is somebody needs to scare you. So you just need a good friend to frighten you. And then as soon as they say boo and you're not ready for it, gone. Most of the other ones have to do with water. Have you heard this? If you drink water through a towel, hiccups go away. I don't know how a towel is supposed to change the like, physical composition of water, but you can give it a shot. Others will say, if you take a drink of water, but don't swallow, and then you look up, and you count to 10, and then you drink while you're looking up in the air, then your hiccups will be gone. <laughs> One I've heard that actually has worked for me in the past is if you take 10 sips of water really quick in fast succession, the hiccups will go away. Anyway, this is a stupid example, but you get my point. Like, what you think about this is going to determine what you do in the situation. If you don't think there's any way to get rid of hiccups, you're just going to ride it out. If you do, somebody give me a towel, you know. Hope I have a friend who loves me enough to terrify me. Now, we could talk, of course, about things that matter more. Gosh, all we could talk about racism. I am certainly not trying to start a fight, but let's just acknowledge that we're having a conversation about what this is. Your ideas about this matter, my ideas about this matter, like what is racism? Like, how do we find it? How do we detect it? 
And what's the best way to do something about it? And is there a thing called systemic racism? And if so, what is it? And what does it explain? And what does it not explain? And where do we find it? And what do we do? And, and again, it's like not hard to see that this stuff matters, not just for now, but for the future, for our children, for our grandchildren. And the ideas that drive the policies on such things are going, no matter what you think, I think we can agree that the ideas that drive the decisions on these things are going to impact us for generations. Speaking of generational impact, think about forgiveness. Think about how the ideas you have about forgiveness, what you think about forgiveness, determines what you do when somebody does you wrong. I'm not even gonna ask you to raise your hand because I know the answer, but anybody in here been done wrong? And what do you do? Because sometimes it hurts and sometimes it feels dangerous. And like, is forgiveness a good idea? And are you even allowed to think, is it a good idea? Like, is it a command? You just do it. And if you're trying to do it, but it doesn't seem to be working, what are you supposed to do? And again, what does it look like? Is it something that happens in here? Am I supposed to like engage this person in a relationship? And what about when I forgive, but they do the same thing again? It's tricky, y'all. And this is not a message on forgiveness. Those are valuable things to talk through. All I'm saying is you don't know how to engage these things unless you've thought it through. And even then it's hard. It's not just like specific issues either. It's not just hot button items. You know, I was thinking about this series that we're in, this Pathways series. And again, Pathways is gonna be an important word for us as a church because it, it describes the fact that like, there's a path for me to follow. And what we're gonna try to do is to clarify, to provide opportunities that may be the most beneficial next step for you. And the point of this series is like, what are the staples? You know, worship and teaching and, and service and fellowship. Those are the four things we're talking about this month. And, and as I was thinking about this and my particular assignment to teach about teaching, it hit me, not that like one is more important than the other, that's a dumb framework. They're not in competition. But that teaching is supportive of all the others that you really can't do all the others well without teaching. And we're gonna talk about service and fellowship in the weeks to come, so I don't need to go into great detail on these things because Mark will, I can't wait to hear him. But like you can't do those things unless you know what it means to love someone and love doesn't define itself. And you can't just assume that what feels like love is love, right? I loved the message last week on worship. If you haven't heard it, go listen to it. And when I think about worship and I think about teaching, I think about how they support one another. Like how are you supposed to worship a God you don't know? I don't, I don't know that that works. If you have an idea of God that is not both gracious and just, I worry about your worship. Like if your understanding of God is that he's only gracious, that he's like sugary sweet, and that he doesn't hold anybody to any sort of standards, that there's no justice or righteous or holiness or, or wrath involved, then you might come and you might worship and you might have like warm feelings about him, but I don't know if you're standing in awe of, of God. Of course, on the other hand, if you have an idea of God that's like all just, all intensity, all holiness and wrath all the time, and there's no grace? Like you might show up and, and you might sing through gritted teeth because you don't want to get in trouble with him. And you might check off the boxes so you can get him off your back, but I'm not sure you're going to love him. I'm not sure you're going to feel warm toward him. When I think about God's presence, if I don't believe that God is present in the room, even when I can't see him and feel him, then I'm going to be frustrated a lot of the time when I'm trying to worship him because I don't see him and I don't always feel him. I might think something's wrong with me. I need to feel him. Those people clearly feel him. I need to feel him. No, like that's not actually true. God is omnipresent. He's always here. And if you know that he's here, even when you don't see and feel him, then you're not tripping about what you feel. You're just worshiping the God who's right here in the room. And when it comes to worship, knowing God matters. Accuracy matters. It's like any relationship. We distinguish between knowing and knowing about. And that's fine. Like you don't want to just know about God. You want to know him personally. But sometimes we overdraw this. Like if I come up to you and I, you know, let's say you're married and you're standing there with your wife and I say, hey, um, 
So what does your wife like to eat? Like, where does she like to take you for dinner? And you say, no idea. Because the important thing is not knowing about her. The important thing is knowing her. And you give me like a creepy wink, wink. You know, like, good luck with that, brother. Like, I don't know that you're going to be knowing her anytime soon because you need to become a student of your wife, you know, and you need to become a student of your friends. And of course, in this case, we need to become a student of God. Accuracy does not get in the way of intimacy. Accuracy is a prerequisite for intimacy. And we dishonor God by our mental laziness when it comes to who he is. And sometimes our worship is half-hearted and cold because our thoughts are filled with futile things. Or when we think about him, our thoughts are not worthy of him. I want to be careful. I sound angry. I'm not angry at you. I'm not, I'm not in a position to be angry at anyone but myself. I just know that I want my thoughts filled with truth about God. More than anything, sometimes I'm sad because I think there's so much more that he wants to give to us. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes I'm scared because I believe that as we worship, so the future unfolds. And that means it's important that we know God well. We could talk in circles about all these things, but the point is that teaching matters because ideas drive everything. Of course, the Bible is not surprised by any of this. We looked at the clear statements about the importance of scripture or importance of teaching and learning earlier and truth. I do want to look at one more passage together with you because I think it will be worth our time to kind of get in our minds a basic understanding of how the Bible describes a person, like basic human psychology. Not like therapy, but here's how you operate. I want to look at another statement from Jesus. It's found in Mark chapter 7. And it comes in a particular context that you're welcome and encouraged to take a look at later. I just want to unpack this statement. Paul says in Mark chapter 7, talking about how human beings operate. Verse 21 says, For it is from within, out of a person's heart, note that, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. Super positive verse. (laughs) Anyway, notice the, the parts of the person that Jesus describes. So you have the heart of the person. And that's not so much the feelings, it's the desires, it's the drives, it's the longings, you know, it's the loves, the values. The desires of a person are what the Bible talks about when it talks about the heart. And the heart issues in thoughts. Out of the heart come evil thoughts, what you think about. But then Jesus goes on to describe actions, what you do. Theft is not just a thought. Murder is not just a thought. It's an action. And Jesus knows this. And so he's making sure that we understand that we have a heart and we have a mind and we have a body. And this is why Mark often talks about your head, heart, and hands. That's how you work. And all of these things have to work in unison for you to operate well. I actually think we can learn a decent bit about this by paying attention to a bicycle wheel. No, I am not a bicyclist. But yes, I can hold this up for you to see. If you think about the parts of a bicycle wheel, they correspond pretty simply to the parts of you. So like the wheel itself, the metal portion of this would be the heart. And this has to be present and in order, in order for you to go forward, which is of course what you wanna do on a bicycle. This is the heart. Now, the thoughts you can't see, they're like the inner tube that's inside here. You, You can't physically see them with your eyes, but you know if somebody's riding a bike down the street that there's an inner tube inside the wheel because that has to be there in order for the wheel to work, for the thing to move you forward. But then of course you have the tire where the rubber hits the road. That's your actions. And your actions are how you actually play yourself out in life, right? Like this is a decent picture of what it means to be a human being. Now the problem with this is all of these things have to be working in order in order for you to live the kind of life that you actually want to live, the kind of life that you need to live. But this is not what you and I look like. This is not us. No, 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 no. This is us. 
right? Like the problem, can you see it? The problem is you and I have been bent by sin at a heart level. This is us. Now this wheel tells stories that are remembered by the people who were there, that's for sure. And this is me, man, I've been bent by sin, by other people's sin, stretching all the way back to Adam, and by my own participation in such things. And I can't fix myself on my own. Like I can't just beat my heart back into place. That's not how it works. And if you think Christianity is about somebody saying, hey, here's you, now go fix it. You don't understand the faith, y'all. And I'm not beating beating you up for this. I just want to make sure we're clear. Like the good news of Jesus is that you can't fix yourself on your own and you don't have to because God demonstrated love for you in your brokenness. And he sent his son Jesus to die for you in your brokenness. And then when you turn your life over to him, he gives you a new heart. That's what happens in the baptistry is the old you, the you that's bent and busted and broken is buried, is done away with. And the new you is what comes up out of the water. God gives us a new heart. But sometimes we tend to think that once I have a new heart, that's the end of the process. No, 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 no. A new heart is not the end. A new heart is the beginning. And it's got to be supported by true thoughts and good deeds. And if you don't have the deeds, then you're like somebody who's trying to ride around on a bicycle wheel with an inner tube and no tire or a really old one. It's going to pop real quick. It's not going to fly. It's not going to last. But what we're talking about today is the person who's rolling around with a decent wheel and a decent tire, but an inner tube that has a hole in it. You know what we call that? A flat tire. Y'all ever tried to ride a bike on a flat tire? Like, let me see a show of hands. I want to know if you've experienced this feeling physically. How many of y'all try to ride a bike on a flat tire? I have. Like, you can't go forward. <laughs> I mean, you move. This is not very well. It's like bumpy and slow. And honestly, man, I think about this and I sometimes worry that some of us are like, that a flat tire, a busted tube, is a metaphor for where we are with Jesus. That we're struggling to walk with God, not because something's wrong with Jesus, and honestly, not because our heart is in the wrong place. You like want to do good, and you want to be a godly person, and not because you're doing a bunch of dumb things. Your behaviors are mostly in line. I worry sometimes that our spiritual life is super-duper bumpy because our inner tube is in terrible shape, because our thoughts are not what God would have them be. I'm gonna say it again, you cannot be a healthy person and we cannot be a healthy church without healthy teaching. And speaking on behalf of the leadership, the job of the leadership here, and they take it very seriously, we take it seriously, and those who are on staff take it very seriously to provide for you whatever opportunities they can so that you can move forward, to take you to the water, but you know the rest of the saying, y'all gotta decide how to drink. So in terms of what to do, let me give you real concretely a couple of things I'm gonna suggest to you. First of all, so easy. Number one, do what you're doing right now, I hope. Engage the sermon. Come here, make it a priority to be here and to lean in and to listen to the message. For some of y'all, this is your favorite part of Sunday. For others, you just make it through. I don't even care. Like, I get it. We're different. The point is not love this. The point is lean into this because this is historically how God has fed his people. It's not about the person. Certainly not about me. It's not about Mark. It's not that he's so great. I mean, he is great, but it's not that he's so great. It's that he's been called by God to stand up here and to take what he's learned from God in the word and to share it with the rest of us. And that is meat, y'all. That is the food. Lean into that. Listen, take notes if you need to, whatever you gotta do. That's step one. Good job, y'all. Good job. That's what I'm saying. Good job. Sometimes it's like, well, you just come here on Sunday and then you don't do anything else. I'm saying, good job coming here on Sunday. Yeah, you. Here's the second thing. Meditate on the word throughout the week. I do wanna encourage you that if you wanna step forward, you gotta take it with you. And that might mean thinking about things that you've learned, but it's probably gonna mean developing your own habit of reading the Bible on a regular basis. And reading it well, I don't care if you read a bunch, just read some truth, get it in your mind and think about it, turn it over, keep it there. I'm not gonna preach a whole nother sermon here, don't worry. But I do wanna ask you a question I've asked you before. 
What if your frequency of showering, taking a shower or a bath, although if you take a bath, I don't want to know, that's weird, but what if your frequency of showering matched your frequency of Bible reading? Like, how would you smell? Would you stink? And I'm not dogging, I'm not trying to guilt you into reading the Bible. I'm just saying, think about this. Because I don't think you can live a healthy life, the life you want to live, soul health, without engaging God's word on a regular basis. And if you don't know how or you don't know what to do next, find a blue shirt. They're out there and they're ready. They got these little blue shirts on with the funky designs and it says Pathway Guide on the back. Just go tap them on the shoulder and say, I want to do this, but I don't know where to go. They'll help you. Speaking of them, here's the third thing I want to say. In addition to engaging the sermon well and meditating on the Bible regularly, uh, discern the next step that makes sense for you right now. Like figure out in this season what else might be present. It might be that you're in a situation where you can't necessarily add anything else, but if you're like wondering, that's out there. I'm literally like, after this message, I pray you leave. And we didn't want anything else because we want you to walk out of those tables. And we got a bunch of classes and resources right out there that you can take a look at and find one that fits what you think you need in, in your schedule. And if you're like not sure, talk to the blue shirts. And if you're at a place where you just can't fit anything else into your schedule, you know what I'm going to say, talk to the blue shirts. I don't know if they like being called blue shirts, but it's okay. Talk to them and say, hey, here's where I'm at. I want to step forward. I don't necessarily know exactly what to do. I need a little bit of help. Look, the bottom line, y'all, is that God cannot drive us where God wants to take us unless we mind our minds until we feed our thoughts on gospel truth. I'm going to drop the metaphors and speak plainly. I do get the sense in the end that what God has asked me to do today is to come and offer, I guess, just a reality check for us to do with what we will. And the reality check is you can't outlive your thoughts. We can't escape the consequences of our bedrock beliefs. Teaching matters because ideas drive everything. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for this opportunity for us to gather together today. We pray that you would bless us as we seek to follow the truth. Help us to find time. Help us to find energy. Help us to coordinate things for ourselves and for one another in such ways that we can be drawn into it. I believe, God, that we have no idea how much good you want to do in this community where we find ourselves. And that part of how you will do that through us is by us meditating on the truth of the gospel. So we pray that you would lead us wisely as you do and help us to follow well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed, and we will see you next week. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.